While this podcast will cover information about how to access therapy and other mental health services, it is not intended to be a substitute for said services. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you feel you are in need of mental health assistance, please seek out licensed professional care in your area. that type of therapy podcast. So hello, all of our wonderful listeners. Welcome to a special episode of Mental Health Quest. I'm making faces and Charlene is laughing at me. But that's okay, because laughter is medicine, as so I've heard. Yes. <laughs> and it really releases endorphins. And It does. We are having a very special episode today. For those of you who follow our social media accounts, you might have seen that I was at Los Angeles Comic Con back in December. I had the amazing opportunity to be on six different panels. Um, it was intense. I was going from just like room to room and just like nerding out left, right, and center. Yeah, because Benjamin's popular. <laughs> Speaking of popular, I'm going to see Mean Girls the musical tonight. So like, nice. Yeah, <laughs> but it's okay. You can sit with us. <laughs> so we decided we will uh, show for you a recording of one of the panels that I did which was called Potatoes and Power. Uh, And you can guess what that's about. It's about cooking. No. No. (laughs) It's about the psychology and mental health of Lord of the Rings. Uh, It was a really fun panel. And our uh, audio editor, Kyle Rebar, shout out to Kyle Rebar, was video mm-hmm. recording it for us. And so this is also a good chance for us to introduce our new audio editor, Kyle Rebar. Everyone yes. give him a round of applause. <laughs> Yay! So I uh, hope you enjoy listening to this panel. Uh, there will be other, there are other panels that we can show you that I've done. Mm-hmm. And I will actually be at WonderCon this weekend, March 24th through 26th here in beautiful Orange County, California, and I will be presenting on a panel about the Sandman, and also our flag means death. Yay, potatoes. Potatoes. (laughs) What do we do with potatoes? Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. There we go. (laughs) Yes. That's actually how I started the panel, so you guys hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Have fun. Bye. So hello everybody. Are we uh, ready to go on an adventure? Yay! Yay! So potatoes. What do we do with them? Boil them, mash them, There we go. I'm glad you're in the right panel then. <laughs> Just checking. That was a test you all passed. So my name is Benjamin Tights. I am a registered psychological associate. I work in clinical and forensic psychology, and I am the co-host of a podcast called Mental Health Quest, The Therapist's Office and Beyond, where we talk about what is mental health, what does it mean, how do you treat it, and what does it look like, and all sorts of cool things like that. I'm going to let all the panelists start to introduce themselves. We are missing one. He will join us in just a bit. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Isaac Tights. Yes, there is a bit of a resemblance there. And I am a clinical psychologist for All Mind Health. It's a uh, psychology practice for anxiety, depression, insomnia for geeks of all ages. Oh, hi. I'm Justine Maston. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist as well as a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. I do a whole bunch of other stuff. I call myself a psychotherapist and so much more. So tune in for what all of the so much more is. Um, I'm best known as the captain and co-host of the Starship Therapies podcast and co-author of this book that you see right here. Ooh. Um, and I, I think you can guess who this person is. Yes. 
but in case you couldn't guess, my name is Larissa Garski. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am um, Justine's taller half. Mm -hmm. uh, She's my spot. That's right. We are platonic life partners. And in addition to practicing marriage and family therapy, I also co-host Starship Therapize the podcast and co-write and co-research with Justine, blah, blah, with Justine on a variety of projects. You did great. Just, oh, I was going to say just in the nick of time. That's so, right. Yeah. That was perfect timing. I, I, we could have kept vamping yeah. until Scott came you know, back. You're professionals. I appreciate <laughs> it. I'm Dr. Scott Jordan, a.k.a. Zombie Scotty, cognitive psychologist, philosopher at Illinois State University. And I am absolutely thrilled to be here today <laughs> to be able to make my case pro Bromir. So, uh, <laughs> we'll talk later. He always has problems. I always have you, problems. But I love it every time. And I want to share that moment. You want to give props to him for having props. Exactly. Why is the Boromir doll so Oh, it's hard? only going to get worse. <laughs> only worse. I'm only it's mad because be I didn't punishing. say it. <laughs> All right. Well, so let us embark on our adventure. There are a couple of things that I personally really, really love about Lord of the Rings and the whole Tolkien universe. Hobbits are probably my favorite of them all because they're very different than any other kind of race in the Tolkienverse. And their kind of culture and their ethos is, is very, I think, very open and very pure. But I think uh, hobbits, particularly four specific hobbits, can teach us something about family and what makes a family, particularly a found family. And I'm going to ask the Starship Therapists to, to take that. Oh, you, you called us the Starship Therapists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what can uh, Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin teach us about family? We were talking about this over brunch, which was our second meal of the day. Um, we had already had first breakfast while we were in bed. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, we were talking about the whole fellowship. I mean, I lo we love the hobbits, of course, um, but that the, the whole fellowship is such a beautiful example of how we find our people, right? And we don't even necessarily know that we're missing something that we need until we meet that person and go, oh, there you, you, are. There you are. And that's, that's just what I needed. Um, and we were also talking about when people come into our lives, we don't necessarily think about the time when they will eventually leave our lives. Mm. Um, but that, you know, people come into our lives for certain amounts of time and for certain purposes. And when they do leave, like when they get on the ship or, sure. mm -hmm. you know, when they get uh, taken by orcs, we think, oh, well, that's it. I guess that relationship wasn't important because it's over now and how incredibly untrue that is. Um, would, would you share some stuff about Frodo and Sam? Oh, okay. Um, that wasn't where I thought you were going, but here we are nonetheless. You know what, share whatever you want. It's an in <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the captain of the ship, but I know who really keeps us running. <laughs> Me and Kyle Rebar. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> the videographer is also the producer of our podcast. He is, you know, we like to keep it all in the found family, if you will. Uh -huh. Before I talk about Sam and Frodo, what I would want to say is, I really love what you were saying about how family members, chosen family members, found family members can come into and out of our lives. Mm -hmm. And when they are out of our lives, whether because they're taken by orcs or mm -hmm. they pass on onto the gray ships, mm -hmm. the relationship does continue, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are ways that we can continue to honor. Oh, dang it, so early and I'm getting she up. She always cries. It's true. And not to make you feel unspecial. <laughs> but just wanted you to know that it's because you are special. You don't need cries. to be alarmed. That's where I, that's what I was getting at. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that when the person or the hobbit or the animal right is out of your life, there are still ways to love them, to care for them, to honor those memories, honor that relationship. And I think that's so beautifully shown with Mary and Pippin when they are separated from mm -hmm. their hobbit brethren, that they still want to find ways to contribute. They still want to find ways to maintain that connection. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, I mean, Sam and Frodo are that canonical, beautiful representation of partnership. And whether you think of it as platonic or you see it as romantic, um, it's such a wonderful, beautiful encapsulation of 
the back and forth, the reciprocity, how um, we can lean in and ask for help from someone that we love. And then when we're feeling stronger again, they can lean on us. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the last thing I want to say, and it, I did, this is the beauty of collaboration, right? We realize things as other people are talking and we're engaging in conversation, which is why conventions are so cool. Um, one of the many reasons. Uh, but thinking about, um, where was I going? Do you remember? <laughs> Collaboration. We had just talked about Western Sam and Frodo Wolf. and the beauty of their partnership. <laughs> yes. That in American culture, we do not give respect to friendships. Sure, not in mainstream culture. It's often not yeah. seen as this powerful, connective vibe that it is. Mm -hmm. But really, so much of community, so much of family, is based on these platonic ties of friendship mm -hmm. and generosity and love and compassion. Yeah, and that, you know, community is how we get through all of the burdens that we pick up in our lives, whether they be the one ring or a bad email from your boss. Um, it's, it's community that gets us through it. And that's, why are romantic relationships the center of life or considered the center of life in mainstream American culture? Uh, because someone decided that? That's social constructionism. Stay tuned for the Sandman panel at two o'clock when I'm gonna talk all about that. <laughs> well, so I have a question, continuing with the whole concept of family. We have the fellowship uh, as seen here. My question is, who's the dad and who's the crazy uncle? Don't even say Boromir for crazy uncle. Don't even say <laughs> no, I think it's obviously Gandalf. Yeah. The crazy uncle. Yeah. Just making sure obviously. we got it. Don't worry, Scott. We're All right. Here. No, Boromir's got big brother energy. He sure does. Yeah. He, Absolutely. He's got eldest yeah. brother energy. Parentified older brother. Exactly. He starts to crack mm -hmm. under the pressure. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so for me, Gandalf is a sage. Um, and who do we find to be wisest in our families? It's often aunts and uncles because they're more mysterious. Mm. Oh, I like that. Um, and so we respect them more than mom and dad because we know mom and dad so well and we've seen all of their, you know, how they're fallible. But aunts and uncles, we haven't seen how fallible they are or their fallibility is seen as like eccentricities. Like my nieces think I am so cool. <laughs> I speak at comic cons. Yeah. I bring the best presents. Um, but they, they don't see what a mess I am on the day-to-day. -day. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? That's, that, that's a fantastic analysis because what uncles and aunts provide is a simulation of adulthood, mm -hmm. right? They, they provide a, a space for you to pretend what it's like to not be a crazy four-year-old mm -hmm. because your parents are the ones who deal with it. They're the ones that see it, and you're never going to be able to fool them, you know. But <laughs> right. you're, well, so when you're working with your aunts and uncles, you get to pretend to mm -hmm. be an adult, and I would argue that's what we continue to do, mm -hmm. is continue to be civil, uh, except when we have our partners. They're the ones that see our stuff, mm -hmm. right? And that's why we let them into our lives, and that's why we undervalue long-term commitment in this country because we expect it to be about happiness. Uh. We don't discuss the idea of trading maximum vulnerability for maximum exclusivity. Put another way right. to quote Captain Kirk, we need our pain. Well, this is very true, and I'm not giving my notes. So. <laughs> no, it's right, it's yours. <laughs> it's my pain. I need it. I love when you quote me. Back to me. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is family has a lot of different ways of, of being. There is, of course, our biological family that we are born into. The uh, family of origin. The family of origin. Mm -hmm. um, there's the found family, but the dynamics between those can still be found in either or. Mm -hmm. So as, as we've seen, Boromir is the, the big brother, mm -hmm. this guy right here. Uh, he's my Boromir. <laughs> so, you know, those dynamics, I think, is what's really uh, important for our development is we need to have somebody be that supportive, you know, big brother, whether they are you know, biologically related to us or not. But we also need to have that kind of quirky aunt and uncle figure. We need to have the father figure, even if they are not biological or father. We need to have the maternal sort, which I'm sorry, I'm gonna say is Sam. Sam is definitely the mother of the group. You know, he's trying to you know make sure that Frodo's eating and staying strong. 
he, mm. Sam is Sam definitely has a lot of maternal energy there, and that's totally okay because he's very caring for his family, and that's what brothers do. Larissa and I are both like. Mm. So I'm going to take a stab. We disagree. I, I dig. I dig. I'm Mary being thought of as uh, a mother because, because the extended, of his name. No, the, <laughs> the the extended families together. They're mm-hmm. hanging out, and she's going to be open-minded and let things go to a point. Mm-hmm. But it's Mary who kind of squares Pippin away. You know, does some things, takes care of the foolish Pippin. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily mother for the whole group, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a maternal vibe there. Oh. I'm going with Aragorn as the mom. There you go. <laughs> Interesting. I would actually say that like, I don't think there's a strong maternal presence in the Fellowship mm-hmm. or the Lord of the Rings in many, many ways. Um, because I think there are almost no women in the Tolkienverse. Well, yes. Oh, there and is would, that. And I would say like, we don't need to like be bound by gender, right? There yeah. are plenty of people who like like identify mm-hmm. and present as men, but have strong maternal mm-hmm. or goddess mother energy, right? I will say. But I don't think we see that so much in Lord of the Rings, and I think that mm-hmm. makes sense when we think about Tolkien and his background and his studies. He was focused more on bring that back the Christianness of it all, point. right? And so you do see glimpses of the mother and the mm-hmm. goddess and that kind of energy, um, predominantly, I think, from Arwen, and I always pronounce her name wrong. Eowyn. Eowyn. I actually wasn't going to think of her because I think she's far more... Oh, you were thinking Galadriel? Galadriel, yeah. Oh, because... I mean, she's got, like, the... That's the what I, mother That's energy. what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean, though. She does, but she's still, they're at the periphery, right? They're, Peter Jackson brings them forward in the movies more, exactly. but in the books, they're very much in the background, which is yep. very emblematic of Christian religion, right? And so yep. I don't think we need to feel like we need to force mom into this group. I don't know that mom's Mom there. Mom was forced out of the group by she the patriarch was. being represented in the, in the show. And we'll get, back, we'll get back to that later. <laughs> Do you have something you wanted to add? Oh, I was just going to say, have we been confirmed that Gimli is indeed male? Because for dwarves, you never know. They got beards. He uses he, him pronouns. That's probably true. Yeah. All right. That's true. That answers that. And that's canon. <laughs> so Gimli, Gimli's my second favorite, out of, except for the hobbits. After the hobbits is Gimli, because he just don't care. Mm-hmm. And I like He's that great. about him. So we mentioned Gandalf being the sage and could be the uncle figure or whatever who teaches us things. Gandalf teaches a lot about more than just the life that we see in front of us, but also an internal perspective. And so I'm wondering, Isaac, can you tell us a little bit about what Gandalf teaches us about the dreams and our internal world and our determination and all that stuff? Yes, I can. I was actually going to use as a segue this concept of the uncle figure being distant, being somewhat removed, that we do not have them constantly in our lives all the Mm -hmm. time, just, you know, engaging with us and, and, you know, for good and for ill. It's uh, our aunts, our uncles, the kind of elder figures that do give us some guidance. They come in, they check in, they give you what information that you're seeking in the moment. They connect with you as the person that you are as opposed to the child that they're used to seeing you as parents tend to recall us as. And then they're out. And so you get to have a bit of that distance. So Gandalf is a very interesting character that I am fascinated by, particularly because he is very distant from a lot of the other ones. Technically speaking, as a Maiar, that's one of the kind of lesser angel figures from the series, you know, he's basically uh, more of a celestial being that comes into Middle-earth, and the archangels that he is underneath, the gods, the Valar that he works under, particularly if we go back, there's a family of them. Well, these are siblings. So uh, we have the main ones that Gandalf was interacting with, the, uh, the one on the bottom, his name is Irma. This is the god of dreams. And so this kind of mirrors a lot of Gandalf or his OG name, Aloran. Anyone who cares. Uh, basically, the aspiration, now, the aspirational nature that he has for the, uh, the children of Iluvatar, the, the elves, the men, the hobbits, eventually when he meets them. So he has these aspirations for them. And it's not just, you know, dreams as aspirations. He gives them visions. He kind of encourages them to become their better selves for those that listen. And so for those of us that do listen to our dreams, to our nocturnal visions, as well as our aspirations, we can do great things, even if we're in small packages. But in addition, he spent a lot of time with, I believe her name, her name is pronounced Niena. This is the goddess of pity, of sorrow, of grief. This goddess would really look over 
the mortal races and be forlorn for they were suffering. They did not have the full perspective uh, that a deity tends to have. And so Gandalf tended to uh, retain this information. And so he genuinely cared about the figures that he interacted with. If you notice from the stories, he tends to make a lot of mistakes. He tends to consider that um, Saruman, even after betrayal and even after uh, essentially aligning with their, you know, their darkest enemy, he gives him a chance. And in very traditional fashion, maybe where this whole double cross came from, the second chance was you know, revoked, was you know, not heeded. Even with Smeagol, he learned of Smeagol, he knew that he was hunting after the ring was a very major risk to our protagonist and let it lie, thought that they could handle it. So there is trust, there is hope, there is concern, and there's care and consideration, and these, I think, make for a fantastic family figure. Big Cimmerillion energy over yeah. here. <laughs> Gandalf was also more than willing to go to uh, Theoden, tell him to wake up and get ready to go to war because this hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I, I, I love the vibe and it's exactly how I want to be. And at mm -hmm. the same time, I love another thing I love about Gandalf is that he doesn't just do war. He persuades others to do it mm -hmm. because there's too much at risk. And in most communal and most mythologies that surround cultures, there's something in there about how do we protect ourselves from those things that would destroy mm -hmm. us. So that I don't want I wouldn't even call it the dark side of uh, of Gandalf. I would just say the side that's willing to kill to protect what he values mm -hmm. um, is 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 a very important part of that character. Yeah. Well, kind of gray area. Yeah. Shadow maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and he's doing the most fighting when he's white. <laughs> exactly. But I like that Gandalf has that shift from the gray to the white because obviously those colors have a lot of symbolism. But to go what what Larissa just said about the shadow self I feel like Gandalf really kind of acknowledges his shadow self. He understands his darker side, but he doesn't let the darker side take over. He's like, okay, well, if this is what my darker impulses are telling me, what do I need to do? And that's what gray is, at least to me, is gray is that combination of the light and the dark put together. Um, and Gandalf teaches us that, you know what, sometimes there are things that, we need to do for our own protection, for the protection of those that are important to us that aren't gonna be fun, are not gonna be easy, and we might feel really bad about doing, but because our motivation, our aspiration is to protect those that are important to us, we can do it, and that gives us strength, but then we can also still go to, towards the white. We can still be white because we can still do good even past that one thing that we did wrong. That's what I like about Gandalf. At you least. know, I, I, as as we're talking about this, I hadn't really conceptualized it this way, but I like the idea that Gandalf the Gray is Gandalf the Gray area, like <laughs> Gandalf the both. Yeah. And not that white and black are good and evil, but that they are ends of a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. he was in this space of ambiguity, and then he chose one or the other of the far ends to go on. I would like to offer another interpretation. Oh, do it. And before I do it, I wanna name this, that like, as all of us are talking today and you're listening to mm -hmm. us, if any interpretation or way of looking at this hits you in a way where you're like, that's not my vibe. Like, that doesn't mm -hmm. fit with me, that doesn't fit with how I see those characters. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, part, like what, an aspect of the power of story is that it's offered to you, you take it, you experience it, and you make it your own in a way. Mm -hmm. You take the story and you change it because of who you are and how you move in the world. So, like, we're just offering interpretations and ways to look at things. By no means are we up here being like, this is the way and the only way to see any of these characters. Yeah, that's a whole different franchise. We, we wrote this is the way it's a whole different franchise. We had that panel yesterday. We wrote a book about fan fiction. Right. We think you should be able to do whatever you want with someone else's story. So I want to keep going on this Gandalf the White thing. I totally love the idea of gray as ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And Gandalf goes white when he knows he has to kill. That's when he picks it. We don't like to talk about it that way, but mm -hmm. he says, no, I'm going to protect this. And it's interesting that for us, for certain cultures, white is a color of purity and virtue. Mm -hmm. Yet what he's accomplishing in that change is the power to do what it takes to keep what he values going. So he's not, he's, there's not a whiteness, actually the, the 
color white if we want to, is actually all wavelengths. It's the absence. It, it, well, black, no, no. black, black is, is the absence. absence. White, is white is all is colors. So, you know, oh, well, Gandalf's all in when he's white, yeah. and he's all in for protecting sure. what he values, not what Sauron values. He, I want to add that like another way to look at this is from a standpoint of integration, that when we feel internal conflict, we don't know which way to go. We're sitting in ambiguity. We're sitting in the gray of like, what do different aspects of my consciousness want? What do different aspects of my unconsciousness want? And when we integrate, we're bringing more of those pieces together and we're saying, how am I choosing? How am I working in harmony and alignment? I think you're right, Scott, that when Gandalf moves forward and decides, all right, here's all of me and I'm putting it into alignment, he chooses mm -hmm. and he chooses violence. Yeah. Going from this, this aspect of when does he become Gandalf the White, it's after he literally fights his, his demon. Yeah. So going from the Silmarillion, his whole concept was, I don't want to go to Middle-earth, I'm scared, I can't face the greatest evil. Mm. And you know, his higher up said, no, that's why you're going. You're going to learn how to face your fear. And if anyone here has dealt with anxiety, one of the greatest ways to deal with anxiety is to sit with it and to feel it out and feel it out and feel it out until it is gone. Because we can't stay anxious forever. Gandalf can't stay afraid forever. Even this you know, amazing wizard, you think he couldn't be afraid of anything, but he faces this ridiculous beast, technically on par with him. They fight for days and days and days. He is out of energy. And when you are completely done with your anxiety, when you're completely done with your fear, then you get this elevation. And then you can activate or kind of elevate to a higher spectrum, if you want to think of it in terms of color. He smoked him upon the mountaintop. Yes. <laughs> so I love that one. Well, Gandalf wasn't the only one who, you know, faced fears and, you know, anxieties about his role and his mission. Uh, that, goes, uh, that takes us back to the brothers of mm. Boromir and Aragorn. So Dr. Scott Jordan. So here we are at White City. Oh, Scar, I'm sorry, here we are <laughs> at Minas Tirith. And, uh, uh, and um, so I, I, uh, I love what Peter Dex Jackson did for Boromir because he prevented Tolkien. He, he, he created an alternative to what Tolkien did to Boromir, and I'll explain as I go. So I bought action figures of Boromir and Aragorn, and I have them here today. You can see the Boromir, it came in a broken package, the thing's oh, ripped, no. Boromir is smaller than Aragorn, right? It's all clear embodied in the fact that our culture values Aragorn over Boromir, and if we could go to the next slide, please, and if you could play the clip, it, the sound should be there. is a safer road. You know that. From there we can regroup. Strike out for Mordor from a place of strength. There is no strength in Gondor that can avail us. That's me. You were quick enough to trust the elves. Yeah. And you have so little faith in your own people. Yes, there is weakness. There is frailty. But there is courage also. And honor to be found in men. But you will not see that. You are afraid. All your life, you have hidden in the shadows. Scared of who you are, of what you are. I will not leave the ring within a hundred leagues of your city. Damn, aren't you supposed to be the king? I mean, <laughs> this, this is what Peter Jackson did for Boromir that the book didn't. Peter Jackson pointed, or Peter Jackson pointed out, if we're going to do this genetic determinism stuff and you get to be king because of your genes, why aren't you doing your job? Why am I doing this job? And then Aragorn's saying all this mean, petty crap, like, oh, I'm not going to leave. It's not, it's not supposed to be Boromir City. It's supposed to be Aragorn City. Now, like, it's clear. I love this story. I wanted to be Aragorn. And as I grew older, I thought that Boromir was getting a bit dissed. So we could go to, if we could go to the next slide here. Who is Boromir? Oh, I'll, I'll skip this, but someone came out and read it and said, oh, I'm so glad when Boromir dies, all he did was whine. So it says when Boromir tries to take the ring, it isn't because he's greedy or corrupted. It's because he doesn't want to leave his people to die. He wants to know that he spent all those years fighting for a reason. And when Frodo refuses him and runs away, that's when Boromir finally realizes that he has become the man he hates the most, his father. 
So who is just yeah? Who is born? Who is the son of a steward? It should be shouldn't be Seward. It should be oh, Stewart. Stewart <laughs> typo. Everyone That's typo. Not, he's, a, he's a war veteran. He's defended Middle Earth and Gondor against the hordes of Sauron for years, and seen countless numbers of colleagues die. Now should Boromir be engaging in violence? Well, the answer is of course yes. If they're going to continue, just like Gandalf goes white and says, "Yeah, let's do violence now." If we're buying into genetic determinism as a means of granting ruler power, it wasn't protecting the realm. Really, Aragorn's. Journey. When I look at why Boromir was written by Tolkien, why Sam and Frodo shared their relationship, why Minas Tirith is white, I see a perpetuation of uh, the British monarchy. Oh. Right? I see this story as a beautiful story about friendship wrapped in a, uh, wrapped in a, a beautiful uh, tribute to monarchy. And uh, the, we got to get our king to come home. It's, it's Arthur all over, right? Arthur pulls a sword out of the stone. Uh, Aragorn has a, stone, a sword remade. Um, and doing this to Bor uh, saying these things about Boromir, um, um, I, well, I'll just leave it at that. I, I think, I think uh, Tolkien didn't realize he was after perpetuating monarchy with these beautiful stories about the people he knew. And I think Jackson kind of disrupted that a bit by Boromir calling him out. That's only in the extended version, by the way. Uh, calling him out and basically calling him a coward. And uh, I just love that that happened. So that's so I'm pro Boromir. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> well, it, it seemed like Tolkien had a real lack of awareness. Yeah. Uh, well, I would actually push against that, but you uh oh, here we go. <laughs> okay, go ahead. We're we're letting the people into our process. This is. <laughs> <laughs> this is what writing a book together looks like. It's like, I'm going to challenge that, but go ahead. Um, well, because he, he kept saying, this isn't an allegory. I'm not trying to say anything. Right. Except, like, the whole thing is about World War I. Right. Well, right. But I don't, I don't know that, like, I, I don't know that we can totally trust. Or I don't, I don't know that we can take what he said there mm. to be his Do you think he was lying? Oh, I think maybe a part of him felt that, but clearly there were other parts at play. And I think one of the beautiful things, especially about the books, is that there is so much mm -hmm. narrative contradiction and mm -hmm. complication, right? So, like, absolutely, I think you're talking about Scott is there. I think also, though, there is, throughout the books, this real sadness that is written in whenever the time of men is discussed. Yeah. And so, I, and I do think that yeah. speaks to, like, a real ambivalence about yeah. the idea of Agreed. the return of the king, the idea like real like real sadness about humanity taking over so mm. much of what is written about with love and care are the non-human species in the book so on one hand it could be a critique of colonialism oh, right you know you know who the real enemy here is modernity <laughs> well the i thought it was un unimpeded darkness that and greed and you know all that stuff that the nazgul kind of I mean, so sure, which is, you could say, a metaphor for modernity, a metaphor yes. for this like way of life where we're leaning into exploitation of resources. We're leaning into this more mechanized way of living and being and treating the earth. Mm -hmm. Saruman was cursed ends. for ruining the forest and mm -hmm. going toward tech. I mean, that, that's very much a part of the story. The only thing I'll say is when Gandalf goes white, it's just high praise for the British monarchy. It's time for us to be, because the, the white's there for a reason. It's to morally justify the violence. Right. Now, I'm not saying the violence shouldn't happen, folks. I'm being descriptive here. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that people that are perpetrating that kind, people that are engaged in these kind of things, when you're hurting people, even if they're, you're hurting them because they've attacked you, if you're hurting people, you feel it. And the only way you prevent yourself from feeling it is by creating some cognitive wanda bubble that keeps <laughs> it into, it per, turns it into virtue. And justice. And justice. Destiny. So I call it the dissonance to virtue contrivance, which you don't even do consciously. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, he was a jerk anyway. Right? You just say these things quickly that resolve your dissonance, as you said. You go from gray to white, usually, mm -hmm. because you feel better about yourself because you acted violently. And, you, mm -hmm. you know, and that causes, causes them pain, and that causes you pain. So you're trying to say that he was blinded by his whiteness. Blinded by his white light, wrapped up. Exactly. <laughs> I won't do the rest. Thanks. So the concept of, of this panel, the title of this panel, in addition to being about potatoes, was also about power. And the ring itself is that of power. Spoilers for the show that's going to be coming up soon. 
or the next season. Uh, fingers crossed. Nonetheless, um, Gandalf, for the most part, avoided this ring. He stated mm. that the only beings that were best suited to carry this ring, to be in charge of this, were the hobbits, because they did not seek power. Mm. Even when uh, Boromir tried to get the ring, because as many big brothers do, they're like, I, just, I know what to do, just let me beat the boss. Yeah. And yeah. it's not their game. Right. That's not their role. Sometimes right. the role of the of the friend, of the elder sibling, of the parent, mm -hmm. etc., is to just make sure that the individual can get to their next goal, mm -hmm. to get to move along, to carry their own load. Mm -hmm. But like Sam says, you can carry that person along. Mm -hmm. So everybody's gonna have their burdens, yeah. and you're the best one suited for it. And I know that's a really roundabout and crappy way of saying it when you're going through some really hard stuff. But if you are having a hard time, Find yourself your Boromir. You find yourself your Gandalf. You find yourself mm -hmm. maybe Sam. as yeah Sam. There we go. Find yourself as Sam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you know their feet are you know regular human sized and they're not exactly hobbitish, therapist is a nice you know half step. Well, I, I would like to piggyback off of that. I think yes, find a support, find supports that you trust, find community, find friends, but also find yourself. Find the still quiet center within you that is the seat of such knowing, such love, such compassion. You need not put everything out into others. You need not like seek your purpose in another person. Mm -hmm. You can find that within yourself. So you can support yourself. Mm -hmm. you, sure, can, yeah. you don't need a sidekick. A sidekick helps though. Right, I mean, to quote Toni Morrison, which I was not anticipating quoting Toni Morrison, <laughs> I'm a Lord of the Rings panel, right? But like she said this so beautifully in Beloved, you are your own best thing. Cherish yourself. Mine, I, would, I would just add to that is find others who love your vulnerability and protect mm -hmm. it. Because yeah. it's, it's, if you keep your vulnerability to yourself, if you keep your weakness to yourself, then you have no, you have no mm -hmm. reference. Mm -hmm. the, the people that we call our best friends are the people that will hear all of our weakness and stick around. Mm -hmm. And that matters because when two brains interact, in a conversation, the words almost don't matter. What matters is the stabilization of the high-frequency noise going on in each brain. You watch people talk, da 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 and they're basically lulling each other into a state of non-noise. So, so do find that person that you can be vulnerable with, and then protect that, and don't act like you got to do that with everybody. Right? Not everybody can be your best friend because maximum exclusivity entails maximum vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, it's so lovely to hear this because I, I also think of like, we do not have a unitary mind, each of us. We contain multiverses. And within each of us are, are different aspects of ourselves that are interacting with each other in the way we interact with people out here. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And so, you know, Larissa talking about the self, there's all these parts, too, that need our attention. So we almost have our own internal fellowship. We've got our yeah. own Gandalf with an idea, and we've got our Sam who's supporting us, and mm -hmm. we've got our Legolas that's like, I bet I could skateboard down those stairs. <laughs> uh, but we can't. But. We really want to. And that's, and that's the game, game <laughs> Not the beers. So I want to make sure we have time for questions uh, and or comments from the audience. We have about 10 minutes. So if anyone has anything they'd like to ask or just state because they enjoyed it, please go ahead. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of talk about Gandalf and I wanted to just propose like a framework to maybe analyze, actually sort of two frameworks. Um, what is potentially like an amorality interpretation? So like the amoral approach of like more observer, like hands-off sort of deal, or just an accurate in the world without making judgment? And then, yeah, his transition to a moral righteous character. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is that of the martyr. Uh, so basically his role as a martyr within the fellowship and the I think they talk about it in the in the story, uh, but pretty much like I think that's a turning point where the death of the fellow death of the yeah. fellowship initially occurs. Mm -hmm. 
I'll speak to the first part. You actually make a very astute observation. Um, one of the other names of Gandalf, and everyone's got five billion names, um, is translates to the traveler. I think Mithrandir from the from the elves, and that's what he was. He wandered around. He was exploring. He never set down roots like Saruman did, or um, any of the other wizards. Really, he essentially was constantly moving and visiting everybody and engaging with everybody to experience how do they live, to find the, the, the joys of their lives, to bring that to them, but also to keep moving and you know to carry that on to everyone else. Similarly, if we are fearful, then we're going to be constantly aver averse, avoidant. We're not going to be sticking you know, our roots down anywhere that we may have trouble come find us. And not that Gandalf was essentially you know, like running away, but that's a very you know, obvious illustration when he finally decides to stand for something and even let himself fall, then he clears himself of that fear. He clears himself of that um, wishy-washiness, for lack of a better word. And so he gets to be kind of clear-minded, clear-focused. He's sent back, essentially. His spirit wandered out and He's basically sent back to finish his purpose. And if we are to look at this as an example of mindfulness, when we choose what we want to do, when we decide to be single-minded in one particular pursuit, then we have a bit of a boost. We get to feel a little bit more, I guess, enlightened to some degree. Religion from the phenomenologists? Oh, I, I well, <laughs> Gandalf's rebirth, right? I remember reading um, the Balrog scene sitting at a Jellystone Park. I don't remember those. Those are places where people had gravel where you'd park, park your trailer. And my dad was in a golf club or whatever. I'm sitting there in a lawn chair at this gravel place reading this battle. And these are the kinds of ideas, the kinds of people I wanted to meet, the kind of drama I wanted to have in my life. And my dad says, uh, so what do you think of the place? I'm such a jerk. I said, well, Dad, you know there could be more trees, man. You know, so <laughs> I, I was, he got so mad. Poor guy, he was trying so hard. But I was in a different place already, right? And the sacrifice of, um, the sacrifice, Gandalf's sacrifice meant everything to me when I was, this idea of being that committed to something. I'm being that so much other-oriented, right? Um, the rebirth of Gandalf, I'm, I'm going to admit it's just not, for me, the most, one of the really interesting things of the story. I'm sorry, but, you know, we, we can take the ring of power and we can throw it around. We started with power, but the thing is, things need to get done, and they need to get done now, right? And, okay, so we're, some people are going to look better than others because they don't want to use the ring, but what's really coming down is where the hell is Rohan? Where is everybody, right? And so the whole mythology of the ring and power is part of it. But for me, it's, okay, we got to get something done now. Or, or, our existence as we know it is at stake. So the rebirth, for me, that's i got to go be me now, and that makes me righteous, and that's what that's all about. Um, but in the end, he's catching up with other people at that point. So the argument could be made that most epic series would be a lot different characters just went to therapy. Who <laughs> 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 in Lord of the Rings would you most want to therapy? I'm gonna jump in here and give uh, <laughs> give on. give voice to I was just on a podcast called Popcorn Psychology. Uh, by a couple of folks out of Chicago, and we talked all about this. So if if you want to hear two hours <laughs> of um, answers, it, of answers, mm -hmm. um, but my my answer was I wanted to work with Marion Pippin, and we were specifically talking about uh, the two towers because Marion Pippin had just gone through realizing that. The Shire is in danger, and this is very similar to what a lot of my clients deal with, which is they're looking around at the world and realizing that she's very sick. And also, once you have that realization, you realize that your own life is finite, and then you start questioning what is the meaning of your life. And my suspicion is that once Mary and Pippin smoke all that South Farling weed. <laughs> Without inviting me. And come, and come down again, they're like, oh, no. 
Dude. <laughs> Where's my car? What does it all mean? <laughs> I I'm going to quickly jump to say it. I, I would, the, the character I would love to have coffee with or maybe a beer with would be Galadriel. Uh-oh. Uh, because I say, okay, because we would already know each other, right? And, and we would be able to talk. And I say, baby, you got this. You're Gaia. Do it, right? In other words, because the story is patriarchal, uh, because the story is there to perpetuate a patriarchal monarchy, they tell the story of Gaia, and it's Galadriel. Now, for those who don't know, Gaia is, a, is a, an indigenous ontology worldview that's, that recognizes uh, women can give life and take it, and all men can do is take it, right? Mm-hmm. Men, men can't give life. So there are many worldviews driven around um, you know, uh, this idea of femininity, and uh, the well, Kill Bill 2 is all about, you know, about Trixie Gaia. learning that she's Gaia. Mm-hmm. And th- the fact that they had Galadriel play with a little power, and then feel like, okay, because, oh, I survived. No, baby, you are the power, right? And, and so th- I just find it interesting that that, that Gaia moment did happen, yeah. and it would just let go, right? Because, oh, she's leaving anyway, right? I mean, th- th- and I think, I think that's, Coming out of Tolkien, right? Absolutely. 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 So I would, we would have a good time, by the way. We would have a <laughs> great conversation. Uh, I'm going to do a short answer, though. I would either want to do couples therapy with Sam and Frodo, because I think they'd be a delight. <laughs> pre, you know, right? It would be so cool. And then Boromir, just to, like, really be with him in his profound parentification, right? Like, he was asked to do the role of the king, but he was never given yeah. that true responsibility, never really empowered in that way and it really it caused him to so doubt himself and so internalize all the shame and blame and it would be wonderful to help him release that and come into his own and figure out what is my destiny even shorter answer I'd want to help Sauron get some shut eye so (laughs) some CBT for insomnia it's my specialty just you know close that eye so before we go to the last question, I would actually like to do therapy with Gollum slash Smeagol. Um, there seems to be a lot of trauma slash addiction issues there, um, and even some criminal thinking. Um, and so I just would love to kind of dig into that a little bit more. So last question. We talk about that a lot on that podcast. Yeah, so check out the podcast. Last question, please. Uh, uh, Regarding when you mentioned uh, Tolkien's famous quote about hating the word allegory, um, do you believe that, speculate whether Tolkien was not being fully aware of himself, but do you think he actually was being fully aware of himself when he said that, that he knew that he had his own biases even if he didn't know what those were? And he didn't want anyone to read Lord of the Rings as that one thing. Yeah. I mean, he'd be okay with parents like this. Oh, I think he absolutely would, right? Like, I don't remember. I, I all, wish he but, could be here. Right? Yeah. But there's that thing where he very much he hoped that Lord of the Rings would be this launching point for new stories and new fantasy. And, like, you know, mainstream pop culture just kind of, like, redoes it every couple of years. And I think there's beauty in that, too. But I think you're absolutely right that, like, he didn't want his stories to be the beginning and the end. He wanted them to be the beginning. I love that. I love that interpretation. Thank you. Yeah, I also think that um, if you look at the map of Middle Earth, right, where the hobbits come from is up in the northwest, <laughs> right? And where the evil is is down in the southeast. Problematic. And I, I, Tolkien's fortunate if we interpret this as an allegory because we, we, we sympathize with the idea of not uh, the German culture, which is tend to be held responsible for the beginning of the two world wars. Oh, if you're going to call them black, ugly, evil orcs, orcs, that, that makes sense. But if you start talking about black skin as evil, uh, then, then you're doing something different. So I think he's, his work benefits by actually him drawing a map of where we were. It's pretty obvious. Um, and then having us interpret the blackness of the evil as, as, as a spiritual thing, not a, not a race thing. Similarly, uh, though he may have tried to shy away from the allegories initially, uh, during World War II, when Germany was trying to invite him in, um, but because they were so adamant, they needed him to like promise that you're not Jewish, right? And he didn't want none of that. And so he said, I don't have the honor of being that population. And he didn't bother going to Germany. 
And then later on, he would eventually write about how the dwarves, though they've been kind of allegorized to the Jewish people, there is the honorable aspects that he points out. Yes, there's a large family value. They're very strong people. They, they value their culture. And for each of these groups, he would point to the positives. And so he would look to and try to find that brightest part of each culture. Well, as question. we end this panel, uh, let's just go down and let everyone know where they can find you on the interwebs, starting with Scott. Oh, well, first of all, thanks for this panel, guys. This was awesome. And thanks for letting me go on a tirade about Boromir. Um, <laughs> so you can find me on YouTube. Uh, just type in Dark Loops Productions, and this is the kind of thing we do. Uh, they're turned into podcasts now, which you can find. Just look for Dark Loops Productions. And thanks again for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. It was great to be here with all of you and talk about this fabulous series of stories. Um, I'm Larissa Garski, and you can't really find me too much on the Internet. But if you really want to find me, you'll find me at our podcast, Starship Therapies, which is a podcast and also a website um, and an Instagram. And I never remember where the underscore is. But if you search Starship Therapies, you'll find it. Instagram will help get you there. Mm -hmm. um, again, I'm Justine Mastin. Um, Starship Therapies, using therapeutic fan fiction to rewrite your life, is available wherever fine and pretty good books are sold. And we also have a handful of copies up here if you are interested. I'm on a panel right after this. We're talking about the Sandman. Um, so if you enjoyed, yeah, like literally right well, here. Just stay in your seat. Just stay in your Same just room, stay here. stay in your seats. Right you At were, least like four of us are going to be on that Yeah, if panel, you were like, yeah. I didn't hear that blonde lady say enough <laughs> stuff. I want more. Rest Stick around. Sure. People are literally leaving. They're like, no, I had it. I'm all me. We also have a new book coming out, If You Yourself Are Someone in the Helping in Industry. It's called The Grieving Therapist, Caring for Yourself and Your Clients When It Feels Like the End of the World, um, which is all about how hard it is to be a therapist in the world in which we currently live. Um, and that's available for pre-sale. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MindBodyFandom because I take a holistic approach to healing mind, body, and fandom. Hi, everyone. I've been Dr. Isaac Tights, and you can find me online at AllMindHealth, A-L-L-M-I-N-D-H-E-A-L-T-H, as it says right over there. And you can also come up and grab a card or two if you'd like. And I'll be hosting the Sandman panel right after this. And I am Benjamin Tights. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at my podcast, MHQ Podcast, Mental Health Quest. Uh, you can listen to it wherever podcasts are found. And I will be on the next panel also. So stick around, please do. Thanks for coming. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.